I think that you're going to need a little more traction to get a series C done, right? So they're going to look more like traditional A's, but I don't think the round sizes drop because I don't think those funds, you've raised a hundred million dollars. You can't go back to writing 250K checks, right? You just don't have enough time or bandwidth. So your seed rounds are going to stay bigger. I think they're going to require people to be a little taller to get those rounds. You must be this tall to ride the ride. <laughs> but I think that seed rounds are going to start to look like A's did back in 2018, 2019. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Lucas Nelson, Managing Director of Lytical Ventures. Lucas, thanks for chatting with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank everyone for listening. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, can you tell our audience a bit more about who you are, your background, and how you made your way into the world of venture? Sure. So I'm a proud geek, hacker turned VC. I was breaking into computers for a living for the better part of a decade. I since went to business school, switched sides of the table. I've been doing venture for probably the past, I don't know, let's say eight to 10 years. So, you know, started out in New York, uh, went to B school at Dartmouth, and then moved out to the Bay Area for a couple of years, and then back to New York, where I've been doing venture capital ever since. Nice. Amazing. And can you tell us a bit about your fund, the history of the fund, and any of the notable investments that you've made to date? Sure. So Lytical Ventures is a relatively new fund. Uh, we raised about $35 million in 2019 for Fund 1. We're actually in the middle of fundraising for Fund 2. We've raised about $45 million, so about halfway there on Fund 2. And we focus on early stage cybersecurity, data analytics, and then AI in those two swim lanes. So functionally, corporations have an obligation to their data. They need to protect that data, turn in insights and wisdom, and monetize it. So if your company does one of those three things, you're in our wheelhouse. We lovingly call that uh, enterprise intelligence. Amazing. And could you maybe just give us a high-level overview from your perspective? How would you summarize the state of venture today? So I've been at venture for a number of years, and the last, let's call it five to six years, have been pretty interesting, right? So we went into a period where momentum investing was probably the way to go. Uh, at least that's what a lot of people were doing. Let's call it diligence light, right? Is what was happening. And those days, I believe, are over, right? So you've seen a bunch of funds, and I, and I won't name names, but we know who they are that were doing diligence light that have pretty much blown up, right? Their marks are down 50, 70%. They were holding public companies that are down. And so that is going to cause a whole bunch of people to rethink the way they were doing venture. Mm -hmm. So to my mind, a bunch of investors and funds that are going to get hurt in the current environment won't necessarily be hurt because they did companies that aren't interesting or good, but it's because they did them at multiples that aren't sustainable, right? So if you were paying, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 times ARR for a company, and now the public markets are valuing that growth at, I don't know, six to 12 times ARR, you got to get a lot of growth out of that company to be flat. And so I think that's going to hurt venture investors and returns more than picking the wrong company, actually. So that's kind of what I see. The other thing I think I find interesting, so this is my, my nerdery about early stage venture, is kind of the renaming of the Series A and seed round, right? So seed rounds used to be a couple million dollars, one to two, maybe three, in a company that didn't have any revenue. That feels like pre-seed down. And my mind is, what happened is, seed funds just raised more and more money 
to the point where they couldn't deploy $500,000 checks anymore. They needed to write one, two, three million dollar checks out of their 150, 200 million dollar seed funds. And those fund sizes are where Series A investors usually played. So Series A kind of moved a little later. Series C is really Series A these days, but they didn't want to rename it because their LPs invest in a seed fund, not a Series A fund. So that's kind of the state of the industry. The question I think that is begged here is do seed rounds snap back? to being kind of what they were in 2018, 2019? Or are they big forever now because those people have raised enough money that the nomenclature has never gone back? What's your prediction? Do you think they're going to fall back? I think that you're going to need a little more traction to get a series C done, right? So they're going to look more like traditional A's. But I don't think the round sizes drop is I don't think those funds, you've raised $100 million. You can't go back to writing 250K checks, right? You just don't have enough time or bandwidth. So your seed rounds are going to stay bigger. I think they're going to require people to be a little taller to get those rounds. You must be this tall to ride the ride. (laughs) Well, I think that seed rounds are going to start to look like A's did back in 2018, 2019, but they don't want to change their name, right? If you're Fund X, who's known as a great seed investor, you don't want to admit that you're now doing Series A's, right? Like that's not your brand. Admits me the wrong term, but it's not your brand. So you're going to just make bigger seed rounds. So I think that's here to stay. I think the people that were traditionally doing seeds or who want to do what looks like seed are just going to start calling it pre-seed mover And do you think crossover funds are going to you know, continue to be a big deal and focus? And if so, are they going to go more and more early stage? Or what do you think is going to happen to the crossover funds? All right. So let me let me first give a definition of what you call crossover funds. And then I'll, I'll say provocative things from there. So on my end, I would define it, and this could be wrong, but it's a hedge fund that moved into venture investing. Yep. Okay. So my statement here is twofold. One, uh, you can kind of always call the top of a cycle anytime hedge funds move into super early state, because it's not what they were designed to do, right? They're designed to have a lot of assets under management and deploy a lot of capital. And early stage investing is about, you know, usually about getting your hands dirty and actually helping companies. And those two things don't necessarily meet. Could they? Sure, there's some very large funds who deploy big capital and still help their entrepreneurs, but that's not called a hedge fund. Okay, part one. Part two, they may move earlier stage because the capital they have left in their funds means that's what they can afford to do, right? You can see, oh, hey, I've got a billion dollar fund, but I've already you know, committed 800 million of it. I've got 200 million left. I'm down 60 or 70%. I really need to hit some home runs and I can't go write, you know, a bunch of hundred million dollar checks to do it. I better do some series seed, series A and hope that I can get myself back to, to square. So that's an option for them, but that's kind of on a case by case basis rather than a generalized strategy across the board basis. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And if we take a deeper look into venture. What excites you most about the market today and and what frustrates you the most about the world of venture? All right. So I like working with technical founders. That's my background, right? I broke into computers for a living. I know how to hack things. So like, I like working with passionate technical founders and helping them figure out the business side of things and go to market, that sort of thing. So that's what I like to do personally. From paying, what's interesting about the market today, I look like an old school bespoke venture capitalist. So if you go back 20 years and look at most of the funds out there, they were small partnerships. They got involved early. 
and most of them probably got their hands dirty. That has changed in the past five or six years where writing big checks in momentum rounds, not taking a board seat was in vogue. I don't like doing that kind of thing. It's not what I know how to do. So I'm excited for the market to be coming back to us, right? When I talked about revenue and and being profitable and getting profitability in 2021, 2022, I sounded quaint. Now that advice is what everyone is saying. So I like the fact that the market's come back to me in some ways. So that's what excites me. You know, what did I not like about the market? Anytime most of your business school, I'll pick on HBS because I didn't go there. Most of your HBS grads are going into a sector. That sector is overheated, right? Like HBS grads predict tops of markets pretty reliably. And so when a bunch of HBS people wanted to either get into startups or wanted to get into venture capital, you knew you were at the top, right? They're very, very smart people that can look at a thing and say, yep, this is the place where, where everything's happening. Unfortunately, that's usually at the top. So I didn't love that. And then kind of overall, you know, I liked highly technical founders. So the rise of the programmer, I didn't, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess no one wants to be called a programmer. So let me be fair. But you get the idea, like, I really do, you know, kind of hardcore technical people. That's what interests me. People want to solve problems at a deep place rather than kind of the party culture that became the norm, both in 1999, let me be very clear, and again in 2021, 2022. Interesting. And when it comes to attracting the right types of founders that you want to fund and you want to invest in, what do you do to really stand out? Because there are a lot of VC firms out there today. There's a lot of solo capitalists or solo investors out there today. So what do you think you're getting right and how are you standing out? Sure. So Lytical, we're highly specialized, right? So, you know, we focus on cybersecurity and data analytics. That's pretty much all we do. We've got a network of advisors on the cybersecurity side. It's a bunch of CISOs. On the AI side, it's a bunch of practitioners and thought leaders. So we've got about 10 of them on each side that we talk to quarterly that really can help our companies out a lot, right? So if you're a cybersecurity company and you're selling to the enterprise, going and tapping into 10 world-class CISOs and getting their honest take on what you're doing is incredibly valuable. That, and this sounds obvious, but okay, I know my market really well. I've been in cybersecurity 20, 30 years now. And so that's a market where I can see an idea and pretty quickly figure out, yep, there's something really new here, or this has been done before. Here's probably why it won't work. And for a founder to talk to someone who actually gets the idea in the first, let's say, two to three minutes, as opposed to needing the entire run-up of why this market's important, how they're going to attack it, who they're selling to, I can cut through a bunch of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in the first meetings, that's attractive. But in board meetings, again, it's attractive to have someone who's got years of experience in your space rather than trying to figure it out and fly at the time, you know, in the, in the chair, so to speak. And when you're advising your portfolio founders today, what are you telling them? You know, what types of advice are you giving them in navigating this current market? We're giving the same advice today that we were giving in 2020, 2021, 2019, right? So as I said before, we're a bit old school in that whenever we looked at companies, we said, don't take more money than you need right? At, at any given round, this is the most dilutive capital you're going to take. It's always going to be cheaper later when you're bigger. So take only the money you need, 
and then figure out the metrics you need to get to, to get that next round done at a sane multiple. And that last piece is the thing that, you know, I think might be slightly different. I don't think it's counterintuitive. I think it was counterintuitive in 2021 <laughs> when I told my founders, Hey, I understand that you're seeing film sheets at 50 or a hundred times the ARR, which I thought was crazy, but like, we can't sustain that. So we'll say, well, snowflakes a hundred times next 12 months. Like, yeah. So you're going to get valued at the same value as the best performing company ever. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Why don't we look at historicals where eight to 12 times was pretty good. And now when you're looking at the public market, you're seeing six and a half, even that eight to 12 sounds aggressive to, but like, that's the same advice we've been giving. Hey, you know, you need to be able to grow into a valuation that's supported by kind of public market comps and yeah. 10 times ARR used to be a great number. I think at the end of this year, it will be a great number again because the public markets, you know, you'll be able to get stuff cheaper. Growth cheaper in the public markets than in the privates if people are still trying to do 20 or 30 times ARR. And in terms of go-to-market, what are some of the most common things you see your portfolio founders struggle with? Yeah, so in cybersecurity, there's this great untapped market. It's giant, it's SMB, Right. It, no one sells SMB tools. There's no big cybersecurity player that really handles this well. And so a lot of our startups say, oh, I'm going to go after that. And it is, it's a giant market. And the first set of sales are pretty easy because you know a couple people in the space and you can make the first five or 10 sales. And then the real problem hits you. of How do you efficiently market when you're small to these really small players? And so it's a place that a lot of startups try for a quarter or two and then bail out of, right? Because it turns out it's just too hard to reach them. And so then they go to SME or enterprise, which is a place where buying cybersecurity is something people understand. They've got a budget line item for it. It's all good. So that's one place that we see often. Uh, my favorite founders, I'm going to call me called ThreatKey, where the founder was like, hey, I'm going to go SMB. And I gave the warning I always give. And, you know, he came back, I think five weeks later said, yep, I've run a whole bunch of email tests and this is going to work. The CAC, the customer acquisition costs are not going to work out. I'm moving to SME. And that may have been the fastest learning I've seen out of a founder so far of, you know, he ran the data for five weeks. was like, oh, this is just not going to work. Whereas normally it takes everyone, I don't know, let's call it two months, maybe four. So that's kind of the go-to-market that worries me the most. It's going after this giant untapped market. But if you're not going to have you know, $100 million to spend on marketing, how do you really reach it? Interesting. And what about category creation? I know that's a hot topic in cybersecurity, and it seems like the cybersecurity world really loves to just make up acronyms and you know, make up different categories. Um, at least that's what I saw when I went, to, uh, I went to Black Hat for the first time this year. So what are your thoughts when it comes to category creation? Uh, if you have a founder come to you and say, hey, we're creating a new category, what do you tell them to do next? Do they you know, do certain types of research that you guide them through or what happens from there? Okay, so category creation as a general concept, I don't think about all that much, right? That's not how I view the world. What I will say in cybersecurity is there's an ability to know where the puck is going, right? So Dwayne Gretzky quote, you know, don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going. Mm-hmm. For cybersecurity, that problem is easier than most. Because you look at any given technology that is taking off and two to three years from now, they're going to have cybersecurity problems, right? Now, knowing how to fix those problems is often the question. So you look at IoT and you say, oh, IoT is going to be big. Agree. 
It's going to have a cybersecurity problem. Yes. The question is, how do you solve it, right? Is it an IoT firewall? Probably not. Is it selling secure firmware updates to everybody? Maybe. There's all these different ways of tackling that problem. So you know there's going to be a problem. You can see the accident waiting to happen. And the only question is, you know, how do you solve it in a unique way that isn't A, obvious, but B, works? And so that's kind of how I view category creation in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not often you see real like, hey, I'm going to totally disrupt the cyber world because it's been around for a long time, A, and B, it's usually a cat and mouse game of innovation, right? The defenders figure out something, so the attackers figure out something new and back and forth. So you don't usually see these, you know, kind of sweeping new, like, well, we're going to do it totally different. Zero trust would be like, you know, Google came out and said, we're going to do this completely different. So that's a category creator. You know, we've got, we're a seed, seed company. So we've got a bunch of, you know, ideas that we think can be category creators. We've got companies that like, yep, they could be. But the seed stage is so early that, you know, it's really hard to tell whether you're creating a category or, you know, you're just a, a big fish in a pond that's not going to grow all that fast. Makes a lot of sense. And I think that's super helpful for founders to hear. We've done about 100 episodes now with founders. And yeah, I asked them the question, are you creating a new market category or transforming an existing one? And I would say 80% of them you know, say category creation, but I don't know if the world can handle that many new categories. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. But I think that's super helpful advice for founders to consider. And if we zoom out here, a couple more questions for you before we wrap. So what types of opportunities are you looking for? And are there any specific market opportunities that you're super eager to invest in and back right now? Yeah, I'm all in on Web3 based generative AI on satellites. No, I'm jumping here. So my, I'm going to tell you my last thesis. About 18 months, two years ago, I noticed that, yeah, this is going to sound obvious, but I'll get there. Everyone was moving to cloud. Well, duh. But the way you move the cloud, First, you take your workloads and you just move them to cloud, right? So it's the same exact program. It's just running on somebody else's heart. Cool. But then you start to retool your, your architecture to use the building blocks that are provided by Google or AWS or Azure. And that fundamentally changes what cybersecurity companies can do, right? So to the old guard, you collect all these logs, things splunk, you search the logs, cool. The new way, you get an API key, and you just query, we'll say AWS, you just query AWS say, hey, what's the answer to this question? So you, all that log work goes away and it actually gives these tools kind of superpowers. Things that would have you know, taken a long time or made a database or a, a log engine fall over are now trivial, right? So I saw that sort of happen maybe two years ago and I was like, oh, that's powerful. So I tried to find companies that fit that mold, right? I've got a few... If you go to my website, you can find them. I'm not going to talk my book right here. But now I'm starting to switch. I believe that that is becoming well understood, right? More and more CISOs have enough stuff cloud native that they're like, oh, yes, I see that problem rather than, oh, that's an interesting theoretical problem that I hope to get to someday. So I'm now trying to look at what the next technologies that are taking over today and kind of where I can play with those. I do think... Quantum computing is interesting. I don't think quantum hardware is someplace I'll play. And, you know, NIST is already releasing algorithms, so maybe not there. But I do think that is going to change a bunch of the way some stuff gets done. So that's kind of a fun thing to think about, if nothing else. 
you know, again, I think Kubernetes security in its early days, it's got a few players, but I don't think that's a completely solved problem yet. And then interoperability across these big players, I think is really interesting. Last but not least, I'll give everyone an obvious secret. Microsoft is about to run the board on cybersecurity, right? So uh, Microsoft has an endpoint security agent called Defender. It is better than good enough. They've got a cloud-based SIM tool, a security incident event management tool, a Sentinel that lives in Azure. And they're walking out with their um, bundling strategy that's worked 100 times before and they're going to do it again. So you go to Microsoft, you say, hey, I really want to get, you know, 0365 and Office and, and, and my tools. They say, great. And we'll basically give you Defender for free. And any data that you're putting into Azure that comes from our products is free. And if you get rid of your big log management tool, let's say Splunk, and you get rid of your endpoint agent, uh, let's say CrowdStrike, that'll pay for this year's licenses for 0365. And if you're a CIO, you're like, oh, I'm about to enter a recession and I can save money and get my, you know, one of my biggest line items for free this year, done. So Microsoft is about to trounce everybody. I'm not saying their products are the best. They're good. Let me be very fair. They're not bad. They're good products, uh, but they're about to trounce it. So if you're avoiding that problem, give me a call. <laughs> we work with a company or we did work with a company called Risk IQ. Do you know Risk IQ? I do. Nice. Yeah. So we were working with them for like four years and yeah, they just got acquired by Microsoft. Uh, I think it was 2021 and they just did the, the final wrap up a couple months ago. So makes a lot of sense. Lucas, I think that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Before we wrap, if people want to get in touch with you or founders want to share some ideas with you, where's the best place for them to go? Sure. Our website, www.liticalventures.com. Uh, Lucas at liticalventures.com will work. If you're a Twitter user, at Lucas Nelson will get to me. Any one of those would be great. Awesome. Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Really appreciate it and really enjoyed this conversation. Pleasure's mine, Brett. You have a great day. All right, you too. Keep in touch.